This episode of Tea's Table Talk is brought to you by Makespace. Makespace is the new and better way to store your stuff. Makespace pros come to your home, office, or storage unit. They pick up and transport your stuff to a clean, secure facility nearby. You'll see a picture of every item right from your Makespace app. Check out Makespace.com for $100 off your first month of storage. Use the promo code T. That's T-E-E. Melva M. Miller is the executive vice president at ABNY, the Association for a Better New York. She leads the organization's Census 2020 initiative for an accurate count of New York. Managing an interdisciplinary team of urban planners, social workers, policy, public relations, and communication professionals, Ms. Miller supports and supplements census efforts underway by the U.S. Census Bureau, the state, and City of New York, and in coordination with community-based organizations in an effort to help New York City and New York State achieve the most accurate census count possible. Ms. Miller started her community work in 1993 when she began working with children using the arts as a tool to promote civic responsibility while fostering positive imagery of youth in her community. Ms. Miller used dance, music, and artistic expression as a conduit for community empowerment, collective consciousness, and individual pride. Upon graduation, Ms. Miller put her formal organizing training to work and became the founding executive director of the Sutphin Boulevard Bid Business Improvement District, or the Sutphin Boulevard Bid. While leading this community-based not-for-profit organization, she created and administered programs that served as catalysts for economic revitalization along Sutphin Boulevard in downtown Jamaica, Queens. While there, she also served as a project director of the Downtown Jamaica Cultural District, which was formed to support the artistic development of downtown Jamaica through marketing, brand identity, cultural development, public space utilization, and real estate initiatives. At this time, I want to welcome Ms. Melva Miller to Tea's Table Talk. It is my pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> no, of course, of course. Uh, as you know, this is Women's History Month, and so this is a special edition of Tea's Table Talk. You know, and I wanted to, sh- uh, to make sure that I continue in the manner that I began, which is to highlight women doing amazing work. Uh, so I'm telling my listeners to get ready because this month is fire. I think uh, there is a segment of the population that does not know, you know, regardless of race or economic status, and we should be celebrating our sisters. And so I'm extremely honored and proud of my guests. And, and to have you as my first guest for this month uh, in the second season of Tea's Table. Table Talk is an honor. So thank you so very much. My pleasure. My pleasure. Okay. All right. So um, so let's jump in because I did, I dropped your in uh, your bio before you got on. Um, okay. And so, you know, we know a little bit about you. Um, you are uh, the executive, uh, you are the uh, executive vice president at ABNY or A Better New York. Um, and so, um, but I want to get into a few, uh, a few questions. Um, so, you know, we know that, uh, you engaged the youth, part of your, 
uh, early start in with community engagement is that you engage the youth via the arts to promote civic responsibility and positive imagery of youth in your community. What was the catalyst that led you to your community work with children, you know, in the arts? Like, did you notice a void in, you know, in the community and with programs? Yeah, so I actually uh, was a dancer. I went to performing arts high school. Oh, wow. uh, so I was going to be a dancing attorney, uh, <laughs> as my family would say. <laughs> I was on a trajectory to go to law school. Nice. I really thought that being a lawyer was the uh, best way that I can advocate for my community uh, and really do some grassroots work uh, that would benefit, uh, you know, members of my community. And when I was in... Uh, college, uh, my best friend and I started a children's dance company, uh, and I really found that uh, being able to use dance as a tool was not only just an outlet for my creative expression as a dancer, uh, but it also fulfilled a need in the community, and that was connecting young people to civic acts and civic projects. And our children uh, did um, community projects like they understood the importance of participating in partnership for parks and cleaning up Brookville Park. Mm. Uh, They understood the benefit of visiting uh, senior citizen centers and uh, working with the seniors around arts and crafts and performing for them and going at lunchtime and just having a conversation. Mm -hmm. But sort of my journey from sort of being a dancer uh, to sort of this civic involvement in my community really was connected by this children's dance company. Wow. You see, you just never know. (laughs) People have layers. (laughs) Absolutely. And it makes sense because, um, you know, um, last summer when we were at the Jamaica Performing Arts Center and the woman that had her dance company and all of the young women there, and you were there, and I, I know she gave you a shout out, and you know, and so that makes sense, you know. Um, so, <laughs> so that's wonderful. And and yeah. during that time, what do you feel was your like biggest accomplishment? Uh, you know, I the entire time working uh, uh, for uh, Kecta um, as the executive director of the Children's Dance Company was really rewarding. Uh, But what I would say I think was my one takeaway was uh, the professional development that I learned uh, during the process and Mm -hmm. all parts of that, from fundraising to administrative work to creating a 501c3. Um, And one of the biggest rewarding uh, aspects of the work was being able to take the children on these world discovery tours, as we call them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Once a year, we would fundraise to do a cultural exchange program with dance programs in other parts of the world, uh, like Amsterdam, Denmark, Jamaica, and uh, we would spend a week in a different uh, country, and we would partner with uh, a dance school or some sort of institution that had an arts component, and we would do exchanges. So we would teach them uh, a piece or a dance. They would teach us. We would learn about their community in that place, and it was really fantastic. Uh, Not only did it give me an opportunity to, to, to travel the world, it gave young children the opportunity to see the world from a different perspective. Right. Because sometimes, you know, we're in our own communities, we're in our own world. Um, We can be myopic about sort of uh, Mm -hmm. what life means. But when you sort of step outside that and you experience it from a different perspective, you see what the possibilities are. And um, 
to me, just being able to show children if you work hard uh, and you can earn sort of the opportunity to travel, like anyone uh, can do it, um, it really was rewarding. I, I can imagine. My goodness. Wow. Um, that, that's really and truly amazing. And, and, and thank you. I mean, I'm sure you, you still keep in touch with, uh, you know, with some of the, the youth, I imagine. Um, but oh, thank absolutely. You. And I mean, when I started the dance company, I was, you know, not much older than some of them. I mean, I was 19 wow. when I became the executive director. Uh, and many of our first sort of cohort of company members, uh, I see regularly every day. I mean, I saw one on, you know, they're in their mid thirties and they've started mm-hmm. their families and they're having children who mm-hmm. are in dance school. Uh, and it's really been sort of uh, a formation of these lifelong relationships with these, with these now adults. <laughs> nice. Nice. And so you served as a type of mentor. Uh, how, who did you, who was your influence? Did you have a mentor uh, growing up? <laughs> I did. Um, you know, I, I was very, I've been very fortunate to have really powerful, impactful women in my life. Um, mm. And, you know, I've had uh, several mentors, but the most memorable mentor for me uh, has been my mom. Mm. Uh, she really showed me uh, what it was like to, you know, be grounded, understand the world from a pragmatic perspective, uh, but also be fair. Also understand that, um, you know, the world isn't always going to give you what you want. (laughs) And sometimes you have to sort of figure out how to get through life uh, with ups and downs. Mm -hmm. And she really was my backbone, my support, um, and is the reason why I've been able to get to the place where I am today. Uh, She was always there to sort of talk through problems with me, issues, um, and was really sort of that steadfast sort of entity in my life. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, really, really beautiful. Um, well, uh, I want to, um, I wanted to, to go to your, um, so your, your days at the Sutphin bid, Sut, Sutphin yeah. Boulevard bid. Um, you founded the Sutphin Boulevard bid. <laughs> I don't, you said you were 19 when you, uh, established the, uh, when you were the director for the dance mm-hmm. company. I don't want to know how mm-hmm. old you were when you, when, you, when you did this, but if you care to share, it's fine. But tell me, can you tell, uh, the Tea's Table Talk audience and, and myself as well, um, what that experience was like? How did you... How'd you do that? How did you go ahead and 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 become the founder of the Sutphin Boulevard bid in in Jamaica Queens? Yeah, so you know uh, the passion I have for the work that I do to this day has come out of the community in which I live, right? Mm-hmm. Being able to experience how people care for their community, care for their lawn. You know, we have a Laurelton Garden Club that's nationally re- renowned. Growing up, my neighbors own businesses on, you know, the commercial strip where I live. And understanding sort of the rich assets in this community and comparing it to sort of other places around not only the borough, but around the city really uh, created this affinity and, and, and drive that I have for my community. Mm. And um, when I started the dance company and started doing the work that I wanted to be a lawyer, um, I was interning. Uh, actually, I was working as a paralegal in a not-for-profit organization, and I was talking to a graduate student 
who was in graduate school as a community organizer, and I was telling her what I was doing with the Children's Dance Company, and she said to me, you sound like an organizer. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really understand what that was. Um, and then she said, listen, check out this program at the Hunter School of Social Work. I think you're going to love it. You know, it is a social justice-based school. It aligns with sort of the values that we talk about all the time. You know, I really think that you would enjoy the program. Mm-hmm. So I applied. I got into it. And that's sort of where my shift came from, understanding that I can really give back and be a contribution to my community other than being an attorney, right? There's other ways that you can advocate and get things done. And through that experience in graduate school, I um, learned about sort of what uh, gentrification was before it became a popular term. And before Mm. everyone was talking about gentrification here in New York City, um, you know, there were communities across the country that was experiencing rapid change. And through some projects in grad school, I got to work with community-based organizations that were working on displacement and how do you uh, create wealth in communities, how do you create stakeholder-driven initiatives in communities. Um, And I started to sort of explore what that meant as a community economic development advocate. And part of my program, I um, uh, had to do a field placement and a local development corporation was created in my community. And I did my second year field placement there organizing local business owners in my community and the residents in my community around what it meant to be a stakeholder and have businesses sort of interact with the residents, the nonprofit organizations, the faith-based mm-hmm. institutions, really in a holistic manner. And through my work in my field placement, I, I uh, worked with other organizations to understand best practices, leverage resources across the borough, and um I found that they were looking to organize a business improvement district uh, in downtown Jamaica. Now, at that time, downtown Jamaica was still struggling. Uh, It had rich assets like uh, access to rapid transportation, a large workforce, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. you know, really engaged residents. And um, I thought that that could be a really interesting job opportunity upon graduation, uh, looking at how to empower local business owners in downtown Jamaica to be able to stay and compete with national and regional chains that were looking to come into the market. Uh, At the time, Greater Jamaica Development Corporation was organizing this work. I formed a relationship with them. And then, you know, upon graduation, they introduced me to the the forming uh, board of directors. They interviewed me and they said, listen, we would love for you to be the founding (laughs) uh, executive (laughs) director of our organization. Um, And it was like a dream come true for me. Oh, my God. Oh, my. (laughs) Here's the deal I got for just for teased Table Talk listeners. Make Space will come to you, pick up, and move your stuff for free. Yes, free. You can view everything on the Make Space app, and when you need something back, just tap the image of what you need, and they bring it back. No strain, no drama, no hassle. And they're backed by 70 years of storage experience. So I know my stuff is in good hands. I've seen it for myself. And you'll get $100 off their already low prices. MakeSpace is storage without the struggle. Visit MakeSpace.com and use promo code T-E-E. That's promo code T. Tell them T's Table Talk sent you. That's MakeSpace.com, promo code T-E-E. 
the work that I continue to do and have always done has been about how to engage uh, local stakeholders in the process in a participatory way. Mm -hmm. And I think at the time that the bid was created was on the cusp of a trend of this transformation of downtown Jamaica. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we heard from people living in the downtown, people who live outside the downtown, who either commuted from downtown Jamaica or shop downtown Jamaica, there were things that they wanted, right? So uh, a different mix of businesses. They wanted to be able to see more arts and culture that was reflective of the surrounding communities. Um, they wanted better infrastructure, uh, like wider streets, better sidewalks, things of that nature. It's just a better quality of life and experience for downtown Jamaica. And I think through my tenure at the bid, what I was able to do was make sure that the transformation process and um, the revitalization of downtown Jamaica was participatory, right? Mm -hmm. Making sure that uh, stakeholders from across the spectrum could participate in this growth. And, you know, that's really important because a lot of times the real estate market dictates how things change, especially in urban areas Mm -hmm. and urban areas that have potential for growth. And without the stakeholders being at the table and having some role in how that happens, it can slip by and it can be taken away from us very quickly. And we see that all across the city, right? We see that Mm -hmm. happening now. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, one of the things that um, is important about sort of what was left is the stakeholders understanding that they can be a part of that, that this is for them, right? Like this transformation is not for outsiders Mm -hmm. and there is a place for them at the table to do that. And as the uh, downtown um, transforms and, you know, new businesses come in, we see stakeholders being very vocal. We see stakeholders participating in the community board meetings when Mm -hmm. it comes to issues around the downtown. And I think it sort of set a, set a tone for further uh, development and, and further um, uh, uh, revitalization. And it's always going to be that struggle, but I think a great legacy of the bid was this participatory approach as the, um, the downtown developed to say, listen, the community wants to see this type of business, a local business in this storefront. How can we make this happen, right? They're, the city's making uh, these um, improvements uh, and investing money in uh, this commercial corridor. Let's make sure that the mom and pop stores that have been there are eligible for this storefront improvement program. But, you know, as the community changes, we're seeing that stakeholders are being very vocal and are participating in that change. Wow. And it doesn't hurt that, you know, they're hearing from their own. You're one of their own. So, um, you know, maybe there's a little more buy-in there, you know, hearing from someone like you that, you know, is accomplished and from the community, right? I mean, I, you know, I think that that helps. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, 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 I commend you. I, I also, you know, want to say that my audience um, may not uh, know because I'm not sure if I, um, I mentioned it in the bio, but you were the first, and correct me if I'm wrong, first woman of mm-hmm. color deputy borough president for Queens. That is correct. Yes. And, <laughs> so, <laughs> and second person of color, the first uh, person of color uh, as deputy borough president was now Senator Leroy Comrie. That's and I right. proceeded him as. I'm sorry. No, first woman of color, but second person of color. So, so, but we're talking, we're talking women here. So you're the first woman of color, deputy borough president. You go. Okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, so I don't know. So, how did you feel about that? Was that how did you feel about that uh, position? Was that was that scary? Did you have a plan going in? Like, you know, and what if so? What was your plan uh, to tackle the role as the new deputy borough president? Yeah, I mean, you know, I had been at the borough president's office uh, at that time for uh, about seven years, and um, I was the director of economic development under right. former borough president Helen Marshall. And then when former borough president Melinda Katz came in, she asked me to stay as her director director of economic development. And um, what was really unique about sort of the shift was that I became a deputy director, uh, I'm sorry, a deputy borough president with an expertise around um, sort of looking comprehensively at neighborhood uh, plans and shifts, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, mm -hmm. we had struggled for many years to uh, attract private investment in many of the downtown, many of the communities in Queens. And we had a real opportunity to take a, a step back and take a comprehensive look at what was needed in these core districts in Queens, right? So not just bringing in development, but what does education look like? What does affordable housing look like? What does infrastructure look like? And then becoming sort of the deputy borough president, it gave me that much more leverage to make that happen and that much more authority to sort of work with stakeholders, not only in the borough, but across the city to bring those resources to those communities, right? So now I'm at a level where I could reach out and work with commissioners and deputy mayors, right, in, in the city of New York to bring these resources to these communities in a real way and, like I said, in a participatory way. Um, you know, my plan was really just to come in and uh, leave um, the borough better than I you know, came mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and really make sure that we did it in a way that we were involving communities who were affected in the process. Um, and it was an extension of the work that I had done as uh, director of economic development. Um, mm -hmm. But I just really wanted to use that role as deputy borough president to really um, create those relationships across the borough and across the city that could, um, you know, uh, empower communities to sort of uh, participate in this change. Well, I definitely think you left uh, you left it better than than how you found it. Uh, I, I definitely think you you left your mark. Um, and so, fast forwarding to today, you are the executive vice president for a better New York. Uh, on the Census 2020, which is an important initiative in itself, um, you know, what is your philosophy to approaching, you know, with, with each new role? Uh, do you frame that as, you know, a, coming from a black woman's perspective or a woman of color tackling this or that challenge? And, you know, or do you feel pressure to be better? And if so, how do you manage that? Yeah, I think that is a really good question because I think sometimes uh, we sort of miss sort of our perspective on sort of how we approach the work. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really important because I think our experiences and our education, our training, it sort of creates the lens in which we see the work through. Um, and this actually being the vice president of the Association for a Better New York was a, a new role that was created uh, for me to really get the organization 
into different strategic initiatives around the city to make New York City a better place to live, work, and play. Mm -hmm. And um, working on the census was just the first of many, uh, hopefully, that the association will uh, embark on. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as we, again, sort of tackle new roles and, and, and new positions and new projects, we generally take it from a perspective or a standpoint of, from our experience. And there's no experience uh, that I can get away from, like, being a black woman. Um, <laughs> it's with me all the time, right? Yes, like, yes thing. <laughs> I, don't have to, I don't have to say anything. People just look at me and they know that I am a black woman. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that, you know, sort of that perspective has really um, shaped how I sort of carry myself through the world, especially in professional environments. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think um, uh, the work that I do uh, at the Association for a Better New York is an extension of the work that I have always done about coalition building, stakeholder participation in organizing, um, and really trying to just get things done. And I think being a Black woman, um, there are certain expectations uh, with that, whether good or bad. Um, and I think that, I, you know, I'm always cognitive of that, right? So when mm -hmm. I walk in a room, I'm very clear about who I am and mm -hmm. who people see me as mm -hmm. and um, how they relate to me as that. And sometimes it works in my favor, sometimes it doesn't, uh, but it's something that's always top of mind. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, sometimes I miss how important it is for others to see a black woman mm. in a certain role and yes. especially a role like this, yes. uh, especially for an organization like the association for a better New York that has been around since the seventies and has done some really interesting and impactful things to make New York city uh, a better place. Mm -hmm. um, and being sort of this in this role as a black woman is just an extension of that. And I think that I'm very fortunate to have this platform to show, um, you know, the world and uh, the rest of and New York city, uh, you know, just how fierce black women are. <laughs> you, I, I couldn't say it better myself. That's right. How fierce we are. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so, Melva, one last thing I want to talk about. This 2020 census is here, right? Yeah. Billions of dollars is at stake. Um, what What is it, you know, and, and, and this is the question that I came up with. What, what should the women of Southeast Queens uh, know about the 2020 census that could impact them if they fail to respond? Is there anything you'd like to comment yeah, I mean, so I think it's important because whether we as women like it or not, we are usually put in the role of being a caregiver, right? Mm -hmm. It's sort of it's a natural um, assumption that, you know, the woman in the household or the woman in the community um, is that person who takes care of others. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is no other major public investment that happens in our communities uh, to take care of our most vulnerable, like children and seniors, like the investment that comes from the census, the decennial count that happens every 10 years, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we know that there are 607, $675 billion that, get out, that gets allocated across the country, um, and it gets allocated 
uh, proportionally based on who lives in a municipality or a state, strictly on the numbers, right? It's, it's so important in the Constitution that it's in the, fir- it's the first article mm-hmm. uh, that says every person in the United States statistics accounted every year so, this, so that these resources can be distributed based on who's there, right, so mm-hmm. that they can support these communities. And, this, and, and the funding that gets allocated goes for programs like SNAP, it goes for programs like WIC. Mm-hmm. It goes for programs like free lunch programs in schools, right? Yeah. Because if you don't have housing security or if you don't have food security, you can't go to work or mm-hmm. you can't take care of your family. So I think what, um, you know, women uh, should remember is that everyone should participate in the census and we need to make sure that we are encouraging everyone to complete the form and count everyone under the roof mm-hmm. the person sleeping on the couch auntie and uncle in the basement mm-hmm. um you know everyone in the household because we can't be shortchanged that money because if we have a hundred percent occupancy in this local school and we only get 50 percent of the funding for those schools that means only 50 percent of the kids are being adequately taken care of so you know we want to make sure that that, um, you know, we spread the word uh, as the sort of maternal figures in our communities and the natural caregivers. Um, you know, we want to let everyone know that it is extremely important uh, to fill out the census and it's safe, easy, and it is uh, fast. It doesn't mm-hmm. take long mm-hmm. um, because it really creates that basis for uh, our community in terms of supporting uh, uh, our quality of life. Ten questions that are going to affect us for the next ten years. Listen, Melva, what can I say? Project director, community organizer, youth advocate, and former deputy borough president and now executive vice president. I'd like to thank you for joining me today on T's Table Talk. You're amazing. Okay? <laughs> amazing. Thank you. Thanks thank for you. having me. No, you're welcome. And thank you for being a model for just women in general, women everywhere. At this time, I'm going to have to say until next time. Thank you so much, Papa. Thank you.